lettuce, tomato. This is Rock and Roll Radio. Our evening began in Peter Seychelles' comfortable study in his New York townhouse, where the candlelight was just right, the hi-fi was in the background, and the wine was delicious. does go well with a chicken. Delicious again, Peter. the city of destiny tacoma washington beastie boys and a crackling radio firing up presenting magic of the zeros and ones a new program first of many i hope that will usher in re-usher in for some of you sounds that help make up radio crystal blue for a number of years and those echoes can still be heard and i amplify those echoes here and now on a program that i call radio crystal blue reminiscence this initial show reintroduces you to the music of many great indie artists that have been heard on the old program and chance possibly to catch up to uh, some of them and see what they've been up to this program is available as a podcast to stream download and share on a number of platforms and quickly i'll run through those platforms right here and now they are podomatic mixcloud stitcher anchor apple itunes overcast pocketcast 
CastBox, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and the official Internet Archive. There is also something called Siri, which I think you may have heard of. And if you gently ask Siri to play Radio Crystal Blue, it should present the latest in the RSS feed, and hopefully that is this program, the first edition of Radio Crystal Blue Reminisces. And I guess when I think about this program, uh, putting this together, I kind of felt it was time to bring back some of the old music. And I have hinted upon doing this over the um, last couple of years. You know, I publicly stated, in fact, that I wanted to create something, a narrative, and tell the history of this program in a way on the web itself. Seeing that the show will turn 20 years young in October 1st, 2020. And I kind of felt that I wanted to do so not just in the form of text on pages, but also audio and maybe even video. I had wondered how to do that, and the idea formed almost by itself. I figured, well, hey, I do have some of this old material in the CDs, and heck, why not? Why don't I just go for it and really dig back into the archives? And I kind of regret not having much in the way of the old shows here, the old recordings of those shows. I've got some from a certain period in time, and I think over the um, days, weeks, months, years that this, this this new show will appear, I will give you audio from what has survived. But I could really use your help, and I will remind you of this, that I would love to have audio. If you have ever recorded my show, which is just totally okay, you know, this isn't radio. <laughs> this is a podcast, but I would love your recordings of my shows to help really color in the experience. I figure since this is the first show, I guess it will take some explanation as to just what you're going to hear, besides what seems to be the uh, obvious. The format is pretty much going to run this way unless I decide to change things up a bit. You're going to hear, initially, the introduction that you heard, and for posterity's sake, it is snippets of two different songs. One, the uh, song Turn It On by the Flaming Lips, and also the opening bit to the Ramones' Do You Remember? Rock and Roll Radio from their classic album End of the Century, and also two clips from Beastie Boys' album Check Your Head, The Blue Nun, and Shambhala. That's uh, what you hear in the opening, as it should be for just about every program in Radio Crystal Blue Reminiscence, because I pretty much opened with the Beastie Boys stuff on a number of older shows. We will hear a recreated segment of music that I had spun together pretty much the way you hear it, just as I did years ago, when those songs were fresh and new to everybody's ears, including mine. We'll also focus on individual artists and some of their output, one artist and a cross-section of some of their music and their history, as many as three songs uh, for an artist. And also, we'll pick out an artist that may have fallen by the wayside. Maybe I focus on them quite a bit for one album, and they kind of disappeared early on. Something of an early influence. The spectrum, or rather the uh, specific time period I am taking note of, for the um, recreated audio segment beginning is a period of time from 2003 to 2013. And anything more recent than 2013, which is to say 2014, 2014 to the present, pardon me, would be considered a little too soon. Anything before 2003 is fair game for maybe one song or two songs from an artist that, again, 
someone who I had featured and then didn't hear from again. And I've got some material from that era. And over the um, first several shows, I've put together what I think is compelling audio. Something to remind you of some of the uh, talent that reached these airwaves. And I can tell you truly my experience with working with several different indie labels, as well as my association with the long-remembered The C-Note in the East Village of New York City. I had uh, been with them from 2002 to 05. That was pretty much home base for me. That was like a proving ground. It was a place where I got to see a number of artists whose music later found its way to my show. I approached artists directly or their artist managers or radio promotion people. And I was relentless about that. <laughs> and it just felt good to do that. It just felt proper to be uh, be uh, aggressive about it and uh, enterprising, to be precise. And it just grew over time to continue to do that and also to offer the opportunity to book artists with uh, different music venues. And it really worked out. And it's continued to flourish after all these years. I suppose, in a way, doing this show will be... I, I Well, <laughs> I don't know if I want to put myself in the Joe Franklin category, but you know, Joe is certainly a hero because I used to listen to his old radio show when I was in New York years and years ago. Because my dad used to listen to uh, Joe Franklin. and uh, I followed suit as well as show that would run from like 1 a.m. till about, I guess, 5, 5.30. WOR Radio in New York. And also had a TV show that ran for a number of years. I think it was here to 30 minutes or 60 minutes in a uh, very, very unpretentious, uh, simple studio setting in their uh, studios in, um, what was it, Secaucus, New Jersey. And just a kind of a freewheeling sort of an experience, just interviews with uh, people and uh, and the guests, musical guests there, and great, great stuff. I've always enjoyed it. Just being like in someone's living room and uh, reminiscing really about the old days. You know, uh, some, some audio, maybe some video, some some other stuff, and uh, I love it. I guess, in a way, if I'm to be considered the Joe Franklin of uh, podcasting, uh, or at least of uh, independent music and such, so be it. Maybe I'm just getting older, <laughs> willing to look back, looking forward by looking back. I guess, in a way, that's really what, what I'm doing here, and celebrating the show's history and uh, listening to the past, and not choosing to forget it, but to bring it forward, and Again, catching up to some of these artists, like what we'll hear right now from a songwriter that I first read about in the old New York Press. The New York Press was a um, publication that was sort of like a, a strong independent, even independent, under, below the level of the national publication, The Village Voice, which you'd pick up on Wednesdays for free everywhere in New York City. And if you knew where to look, you could get delivered. Not delivered. Uh, you could find it maybe as early as like Tuesday evening in some places. I used to go to West 4th Street Station if I happened to be anywhere in uh, downtown New York and be able to snag that first. But yeah, it was always a good read. A true grown-up newspaper for me. <laughs> as opposed to the, uh, the daily rags of the daily news and the post and such. And the New York Press was right there, right alongside, you know, on their green, uh, the green canisters for free. <laughs> pick one up and yeah it was kind of a grown-up too but a little more easier to read and understand and and frankly a little more entertaining and i just adored the writings of uh, russ smith mugger and uh, other folks that have uh, 
that had taken over as editor since then, and there was something a little more of a true independent spirit that still remained well in the ink. And I remember reading about this uh, particular songwriter who um, seemed to have a good history behind him, and then months later, I get an email from his his manager about uh, possibly uh, playing at my little club in uh, the East Village, and I thought, well, why not? So, sure, wasn't a hard sell. Played well and had a great guitarist with him that just raised the roof. My goodness, what a sound they had. Stayed in touch for a couple of years and um, don't know what's happened uh, to him, but uh, I actually reconnected with him on Facebook and hell, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get to uh, the sounds of this gentleman whose name I probably haven't uttered in any of my shows for years. Going all the way back to the Ash Wednesday CD, kicking off a segment that I had put together back in 2003 recreating for you on radio crystal blue reminisces this is ash wednesday by kieran mcgee Just a 
need another city Maybe I should take a plane Maybe I look just like a drifter Maybe I look as plain as Jane But maybe Jane would take a train Maybe I'll go down to the water Maybe I'll try and lose the land Maybe I'll get a sinking feeling Like I'm forgetting who I am But maybe that's just a scam Maybe I should come the walls You tell me if I look okay Oh baby, if I come the walls You'll see me a different way You'll see me a different way Maybe I'll go down to the town And try to make myself some new friends Try not to wear the old ones down But I think there's enough to go around Maybe it's in a destination Maybe it's in a travel plan Just tell me how much is the ticket I think the ticket makes the man I think I'll stay just who I am Some wrong thing to do Yeah man, I always said the wrong thing It didn't matter much to you Cause you're smart enough to know what's true You're smart enough to know what's true You're smart enough to know what's true
changing The winds move fast and strange Blows the smoke from my eyes Let's me see through my disguise It's an evolution Turning me around A revolution Got me upside down Beautiful sound of Blue Haiku Revolution was from their lone album called Heat Beneath the Sand. Blue Haiku, a quartet of acoustic musicians who write and perform what will be termed chamber folk music. Think about that. Chamber folk. Contemporary songs blending voice, oboe, English horn, violin, guitar, and upright bass. Classically nuanced with elements of improv. Individually, the ensemble members have previously performed, recorded, or shared a stage with artists like John McEwen, Katie Curtis, David Bromberg, Richard Thompson, The Cure, Salt Lake Symphony, and others. Blue Haiku was born in the year 2000 at a winter solstice bonfire on a mesa outside Rockville, Utah. The quartet performed at a number of concerts and festivals in Salt Lake City. Their CD was recorded in February of 2002 on Songdog Records. On this album, there are 10 original songs 
written by Phil Bimstein and fully arranged by the group. Again, the tune Revolution styled letter R slash E, and well, you know the rest. Briefly about the members of this group, Phil is the former MTV rocker and leader of Chicago New Wave band Phil in the Blanks. And <laughs> here's some videos that exist on YouTube. You can find uh, some of their material. He is more recently known as a composer of alternative classical music. He has performed, actually his compositions, pardon me, have been performed at the Lincoln Center in New York, as well as Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, and others. He served two terms as mayor of Springdale, Utah. He has been featured in Parade Magazine and uh, a few other publications. And he did a TED Talk, I guess, well, TEDx Talk, that you should find on YouTube as well. He talks about the experience of uh, being the mayor of Springdale and about how music can help heal and bring about a positive compromise to situations. Blue Haiku, B-L-U-E-H-A-I-K-U dot com. The website is still there. Uh, the, the band is no longer, well, I should say the band. The ensemble is uh, no longer, but uh, I know some members have collaborated together over the years. The other members include these. Charlotte Bell is on oboe and English horn, who has been a full-time member of the Salt Lake Symphony for a number of years. She has performed with singer-songwriters Kate McLeod and Anke Summerhill. Flavia Servino Wood on violin, studied classical violin in uh, Chile, and she had worked and performed recording with Milton Nascimento and very active in the Latin music scene in uh, San Francisco. Harold Carr on the upright bass has worked with folks like Bob McFerrin, Crystal Gale, Lighton Hopkins, Katie Curtis, among others. He has um, been a musician in residence at the Banff Center for the Arts in Canada and has worked with uh, a number of Utah-based bands alongside. In uh, recent years, uh, Phil Bimstein has done another project called Red Rock Rondo, which focuses a little more on some... Uh, of Americana, some of the roots of Americana, and music of um, some sort of social consciousness. And I actually remember spinning some of that music on Radio Crystal Blue itself, I think, last year. And uh, DJ Flowerdove will remind me, who um, helps produce this program, about the um, goings-on of a town called Grafton in uh, Utah. And She'll remember the story better than I can, but I think that's something to do with some of her own uh, ancestry. Some uh, members of her family that had some connection with uh, that particular town, which is now a ghost town. And um, really cool video that the band did regarding one particular uh, uh, incident in history, or at least in uh, local town history. Ghosts of Grafton, Red Rock Rondo, that's something else you should uh, give listen to. Blue Haiku, I had always enjoyed that band, and uh, it's fun. Most of the music from that album, Heat Beneath the Sand, over time. Before Blue Haiku, we heard from Dominic Gaudius, an innovative instrumental guitarist and composer 
He recorded and toured with a rock band in the 80s himself and found his passion in the contemplative worlds of classical and world beat music. He worked mainly with 6 and 12 string acoustic guitars and incorporating instruments such as the didgeridoo. He has created a uniquely intricate playing style which blends the sounds of classical, jazz, flamenco, rock, and world beat. He has performed at the 1996 Centennial Olympic Games, the Australian Embassy, the Montreux Music Festival, National Geographic. He opened for the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, as well as Pat Benatar and Kip Winger. He appeared with the well-respected Jazz Ensemble Acoustic Alchemy, as well as the Rippingtons and world-renowned guitarists like Pierre Benswan, Adrian Legg, and Eric Johnson. He also performed at the after-show party for John Petrucci, Joe Satriani, and Steve Vai. He's been compared favorably to folks like Michael Hedges and uh, Eddie Van Halen. His sounds become widely sought after for festivals, benefits, and concerts. You may have already heard his music on uh, major radio and uh, syndicated radio, as well as television. Most recently, he has performed his solo show at Disney for over 10 years. He was a finalist on Fox TV's 30 Seconds to Fame, a finalist and honor award winner in the Great American Song Contest, nominated as Best Instrumental Artist and Best Performing Artist by CampusAwards.com, and continues to record and perform to this day. You can find him on the web. He's pretty active on Facebook, actually. His website is still active. It's DominicGaudius.com. D-O-M-I-N-I-C-G-A-U-D-I-O-U-S dot com. He uses that same spelling on Twitter. That tune we heard from him is called Glow. G-L-O from an old album of his called The Clearing. Before Dominic, we heard from Casey Holford. Climb the Walls from an early album of his called Bad Spell, Good Spell. Casey. Raised on a diet of folk music and comic books in Massachusetts. Started playing piano at age 12, picked up his mom's guitar at 14, and was performing regularly by 18. He has recorded four solo albums, three EPs, and a 7-inch. And toured the East Coast and here in the West Coast as well as Europe. He's also a prolific producer for New York City bands and songwriters from his studio in Brooklyn. He plays heartfelt folk songs that often possess an edgy and Innovative quality, suggesting uh, Paul Simon and also Craig Wedren of the late great Shutter the Thing. It's a rather intimate album, this one is, Bad Spell, Good Spell, recorded in the home studio of producer Scott Mann. Songs, a series of stories centered around the themes of old friends, old photos, temp jobs, making ends meet, and also some personal politics. On this album, Casey with 12-string and electric guitars, bass, and drums. His brother Matt on Rhodes, organ and percussion. Jen Lindsay with backing vocals. And Jen will recall named uh, Artist of the Year way back in uh, 2003 here on this show. Casey, I remember, I don't even remember where I even first found him. I know, well, let's see. We'll go back in time here. Blue Haiku, I think I received directly as a CD from them. Dominic, I don't recall. I know they had some representation from someone, and I don't remember who exactly it was. Now, Casey came out of the uh, anti-folk uh, movement in New York, and if you're 
in or from New York, you should have some idea of what anti-folk is. That being something alternative to the um, resurgence of the singer-songwriter movement in New York City that took place there, and to be fair, in uh, the surrounding area in the uh, mid-70s. And it was just really a matter of uh, finding a place to uh, call home, and eventually that would become the uh, fort led by uh, the mighty songwriter Latch, holding for it at the Sidewalk Cafe and Restaurant in the East Village. And uh, Latch is now based in uh, London. And he's embarked on a strong career, not only in music, but in comedy as well. And uh, since then, you know, some other people have uh, taken over, I think, uh, uh, Sidewalk, which is still active against all odds. And rising rents and sidewalk one of those places i would uh check out some new material there was there would always be somebody interesting and uh casey i've seen a number of places and a number of uh ensembles himself and really have have been out of touch uh, with him over the years um these days well his website is no more but he has his own blog which focuses not only on music, but also photography, and I think some sort of uh, art, uh, visual art as well. Also, I had done a, a, a Q&A for my old website, which, which was the uh, .com website, and I knew that he had been based in Providence, Rhode Island for a number of years, and my question for him was about what drew him to New York and away from Providence. Here's his answer, and I quote, quote, I think that I really desperately needed someplace new. It actually could have been any place, but New York seemed to offer the best form in the world for my chief interests, music, film, and sound. I went to school in Providence, and after it ended, I felt that I really had to get away, for professional and personal reasons. I haven't always been the tower of emotional calm and composedness. Is that a word you see before you? And wiping the slate clean really helped me to get started with my life again. And I'm happy to report that New York City is a wonderful, wonderful place to be for me. I've been writing a ton of new material, playing a lot of shows, meeting millions of amazing people in the village acoustic scene, sometimes called anti-folk, and falling madly in love in many levels. I'm productive, happy, excited, and even exciting. Specific to music, I have one thing to say. Contrary to popular assumptions, it seems to be easier to get people to listen in New York than in a smaller place like Providence. Some people in Providence don't start to hear you until you've been there for, say, 15 years. It's a big commitment for little return. Don't get me wrong, I love Providence and I love a lot of people there, but there is so much room for something new in New York. A new voice, a new face. All you need is a little talent and persistence. I love it here. Based on uh, Facebook, among other places, facebook.com slash CaseyHolfordMusic.com. On the Twitter, at CaseyHolford, C-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-F-O-R-D. And you can also find him uh, with his art material at a website called Framed Fractions, which is FramedFractions.com. Start off this first segment with the music of Kieran McGee. Song titled Ash Wednesday, titled track of his 
debut album going back to 2002. He was born underweight, making his live debut solo acoustic at the age of 15 in front of several hundred people on the main street of Helena, Arkansas during the Helena Blues Festival. As a journalist, he chased the trail of a band called Penny Arcade and found that, like many casualties of the strip in the late 60s, their legacy includes some ominous episodes involving Manson, Biosolet, Terry Melcher, and Mike Nesmith. He started writing what would be his next record, Locked Away in a Psych Ward, results of what he called a four-month K-hole that involved a girlfriend's fatal overdose. Considering also his musical pedigree, his father is David McGee, a respected musical journalist and the author of Go Cat Go, The Life and Times of Carl Perkins. His musically inclined mom is married to, well, was married to Art Collins, who managed him as well as somebody named Iggy Pop. Kieran would play frequently at a now-shuttered club called The Living Room. He would play guitar, piano, mandolin, and harmonica, exuding a certain cool and sweetness into his music. He had often performed with Jeremiah Lockwood, a fantastic performer on Dobril. He was interviewed for a publication, and he was asked, how did it happen that you record all your albums at Sun Studio, the legendary studio in uh, Memphis, Tennessee? And his answer was, the guy who managed the studio back then, Mark Bell, he knew my dad and heard the recordings that I made and said he'd do it on spec, which meant I wouldn't have to pay for it. I mean, it's Sun Studios, you know? <laughs> he was asked further, Are there ghosts in there? Kieran said, Yeah, it was total magic. Because last time when I recorded with Cody and Luther Dickinson of the North Mississippi All-Stars, we had met like the day before, and they hadn't heard any of my music. Had no idea what I was about, really. But then we went in there, and everything happened at once. Yeah, it was definitely something you remember. Jim Marshall, who owns Lakeside Lounge, I was playing there a lot before I recorded, uh, recorded the Ash Wednesday album. He told me when I was, when I was in Memphis that I should hook up with them. So I called them, went in a milkshake, and went in the next day and recorded the album. I hung out with them for a couple of days afterwards. They live in a double wide trailer and get moonshine from Othar Turner. You probably shouldn't print that. Moonshine's illegal. <laughs> Reading that, I'm, I'm remembering actually a Lakeside Lounge, a place that's also long shuttered, a place that was like uh, an area with a, a bar on one side and a little passageway with a jukebox and a photo booth and then a cozy little uh, stage setting and with enough room for like uh, maybe a dozen or 20 people at most to uh, congregate around and uh, enjoy the music. A really cool place to hear music that's uh, a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah, Kieran would appear uh, frequently at the old uh, living room on uh, Stanton Street. And I did see Kieran with Jeremiah Lockwood and, of course, Jeremiah, someone that we will hear on RCB Reminisces 
in future shows touching upon the uh, old-timey sounds and I've always looked to him as uh, looked to him as an old soul that's for certain I had uh, reached out to Kieran uh, announcing that his music would uh, appear on this program he was very happy to hear about it and he says that there is music out there out there on the web anyway from an album that never got a proper release called Golden Age of Paranoia. I know it's available on Bandcamp. Meanwhile, you can find him on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Kieran Matthew McGee. I'll spell it out here. K-I-E-R-A-N M-A-T-T-H-E-W M-C-G-E-E On Twitter at Kieran McGee with the four E's at the end. I actually remember uh, last I'd seen Kieran, I remember he was playing at uh, the uh, 169 bar. I think this must have been 2005. And uh, last I'd seen of him, and I had the chance to book the show, I think, and uh, Art had had a chance to... uh, see him perform in person and I, he greeted me warmly as I was there, there at the door and I learned uh, sadly that he passed away a month later and I um, I was stunned I, I mean he was young he was like 52 it was a cardiac arrest I believe goodness Art was um manager of uh, Iggy Pop, and uh, he had also worked with Joe Jackson, Marianne Faithful, and uh, Marshall Crenshaw. He had worked with uh, Rolling Stones Records and became their president. So, uh, yeah, that was um, rather sad. But, uh, yeah, that was the last time I had seen him, and and last time I had even seen or heard from Kieran. That comprises our initial segment. Again, recreating an old one going back to 2003. And right about here, we'll switch gears a little bit and I'll tell you a little bit about one particular artist that had uh, received a good deal of airplay over several albums. We'll switch gears here and tell you about... uh, One particular artist I had spun music of across several albums, and this will be another component of the show as I focus on an an artist or band who had uh, several albums of material that were heard from the show's inception up until 2013. This time around, it's Denise Barbarita. She is active in the areas of songwriting and recording, as well as an array of production services that include live tracking, overdubbing, editing, mixing, and mastering, and also in terms of broadcast, re-recording, dialogue replacement, sound design, and music composition. She is available to help clients meet their needs and high expectations during every phase of a project, whether it Hire to capture basic tracks, overdubbing, editing, or mixing, she guarantees her work. 
She's worked in many of New York City's top rooms with a long list of major label and independent credits. With close to 20 years of expertise under her belt, she is perfectly comfortable working on music of any genre. In 2009, she put together a mobile Pro Tools recording rig. She has a great collection of microphones and A-list mic frees. She's happy to travel to any location. She can also edit or mix the project at Mona Lisa Studios to her clients' exacting standards. She opened Mona Lisa Studios in Long Island City, New York in 2013. She moved it next year to the Upper West Side of Manhattan. She's a graduate of Berkeley College of Music with a degree in music production and engineering. She had released four CDs over the years, including Beauty Lied, Chaos and Congeniality, Alive and B-Sides, and A Beautiful Mess. She has been successful in licensing her original music for film and television. And over the years, you've heard her music on CSI, The Young and the Restless, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, other soap operas like One Life to Live and All My Children, and others. Last I heard, she had planned an acoustic EP and some tour dates in 2015, though I really haven't heard or read of anything uh, since as to uh, what she had planned, and uh, haven't really heard from her in terms of um, any updates. I suppose that she's uh, busy still on the uh, production front, and maybe not so much in terms of uh, touring and performing. At least the way that things look on her website, which is myshytune.com. Again, myshytune. Dot com. We'll hear songs from several of our albums. We'll go to the Chaos and Congeniality CD. This is called What It's Worth. This is Denise Barbarita.
Denise Barbarita, truth-telling from the album A Beautiful Mess. Prior to that, we heard He Said, She Said from the album Beauty Wide. And then What It's Worth from the album Chaos and Congeniality. Once again, the website is myshytune.com. I did not see any link for her on uh, Twitter. This is Radio Crystal Blue Reminisces. Giving a listen to some older music from the early years of Radio Crystal Blue's history. I'm Dan Herman. Appreciating your uh, time and uh, giving a listen to these old songs. And hearing the stories of these artists. One more um, note here regarding Denise. I actually remember this other album, which I don't have here in my library, but Alive and B-Sides would not have happened without yours truly, I will say, because I remember putting together a bill when I was working with a club called Cafe 111, I believe it was called, on Court Street in uh, downtown Brooklyn, New York, about five blocks south of the court building uh, in um, in Borough Hall in Brooklyn. And that place, owned by Martha Rudbone and her husband, I'm suddenly forgetting his name, but uh, I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, having a chance to book a nice little spot like that and put together several bills over a maybe, I don't know, a six-month period. And the uh, person who was doing the publicity for the cafe was none other than Ariel Hyatt of Ariel Publicity, who has since uh, reformed the uh, organization several times over. It's now called Cyber PR, whom you recall I've promoted myself for uh, some time mentioning their uh, services on this program. And there's this one bill which I would say probably was maybe the best bill I'd ever put together. Denise was on that billing along with Kevin So and there were five artists total. I remember Mike Brick and the Music Grinders were, were on there. Who were the other two? <laughs> I will I will find it. I, I know it was uh, a great evening of music. Let's see. I know Mike Brick. There is a name. I, I have to wonder where they have been, Mike Brick and the Music Grinders. Kind of... um. Something of a low-key uh, Americana kind of a group. I don't remember. <laughs> I really don't. But um, I know that... Oh, oh, it, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I, I just know that there is a... Um, oh, gosh. There were five. There was someone who I think had Philly roots and then moved actually out to the West Coast, as a matter of fact. I can't remember her name. I know there was Denise, and there was 
Mike Brick, Kevin Sill. Believe me when I tell you it was great. I mean, all that star power over, let's say, a four-hour uh, time period was was really good. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> and anyway, uh, Denise arranged to have her show um, recorded, I suppose, by somebody. And someone had drawn some some art for her. I guess it was on a napkin or something, whatever it was. And she used uh, that art for the cover of this very limited edition uh, CD. And I believe the song, or one of the songs um, that I had spun from that was from that Cafe uh, 111 show. Closing stages here of uh, this edition of Radio Crystal Blue reminisces the first show in the show's history and, uh, well, first episode of the show's history anyway. I plan to be here for some time to come. And we go back now to before the era I focus on, to the very early days between 2000 and 2003, and music from a band called Lightning Red in focus here. Now, Lightning Red was uh, an Austin blues guitarist and singer who already recorded an album prior to the one that I had music for called Texas Thunder Blues. First, simply called Red's Blues. Lightning Red, actual name was Wayne Bach, a musical artist who uh, has since passed away, and actually in 2016, a blues artist who performed internationally and promoted something called a Tech Chicago kind of a sound, equal amounts of Chicago blues as well as uh, electric uh, Texas-styled blues. I'm not sure if I can tell you the difference between one and the other. I guess maybe Chicago a little more of a that that kind of a swing shuffle kind of a sound in Texas. I'm not sure how that would sound as uh, uh, to be different. But he did record eight albums of original music. He and his wife came to Austin in 1977 from Chicago. They would live out of state for eight years and then returned back home to Austin the um, year before he passed in December of 2015. And uh, frankly, that's really all the information I have on him. I know he was pretty active until his death. And we'll dig into... This album here, just uh, give you one track from this album, Texas Thunder Blues. This is called Five Long Years.
Yes, sir. Lightning Red. Five Long Years. The old blues classic. Heard on his album Texas Thunder Blues. Going back to 2002. The website's still there. Lightningred.com If you want, you can put a slash there and type the word thunder.htm and you can read a little bit more about the making of that particular album. Texas Thunder Blues. It'll put the cap on the bottle for this edition of Radio Crystal Blue Reminisces, the first edition of this program. I hope we'll be around for a good long time to come. I aim to publish this every single week. Looking back to hearing music from uh, the olden days of the show's history as it continues to flourish here in 2019. My name is Dan Herman. I don't know who you are, but I thank you for listening. I also thank DJ Flower Duff for her production work of this program. Show number one in the books, and of course you can listen to this uh, program on a number of uh, platforms briefly. They are Podomatic, Mixcloud, Stitcher, Anchor, Apple, iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Casts, CastBox, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and the official Internet Archive. And ask Siri to play Radio Crystal Blue and I'm pretty sure that Siri will uh, comply. You can find me at RadioCrystalBlue.net Email is Dan at RadioCrystalBlue.net and I'm on Twitter at RadioCBLUE I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening and reminiscing with me. Take care.